great football team with a lot of moral fiber and a lot of character, and they showed it. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast, hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. No place else you'd rather be than right here, right now. When it's too tough for them, it's just right. Presented by Syracuse.com and NYUP.com. The Bills make me wanna. What's up, everybody? I hope everybody's getting some rest here on this bye week as we lead into a Buffalo Bills-less weekend uh, for the first time since it feels like late August or maybe early August if you want to talk, count the preseason game, Brian Talbot. This is the Shout Buffalo Football Podcast brought to you by... Um, oh, I got something going on in my ear here. Sorry. Um, sometimes I forget to close the one audio window, and so I was just listening to myself talk. Uh, Tops Friendly Markets. Uh Enter for a chance to win $1 million right now. Each week, Kings Hawaiian is pitting two city sliders against each other in the ultimate showdown, and you get to help decide the winner. Vote weekly for your favorite regional slider for a chance to win all season long and uh, earn entries toward the $1 million prize. Explore the interactive stadium to play games, get recipes, share photos, and more. Visit topsmarkets.com slash red zone to enter. Um, speaking of the grand prize winner, um, Josh Allen, AFC player of the week. We're going to talk to him, uh, talk about him quite a bit uh, here today, Ryan, with our guest, uh, Michael Lombardi. Yeah, looking forward to having Michael on the show here in a minute. But Josh Allen, back-to-back AFC Offensive Player of the Week. Great performance, uh, obviously, against the Chiefs. Over 300 yards, three touchdowns. Going back to his playoff game last year, his last three performances against the Chiefs, Matt. Ten total touchdowns, no interceptions, over 300 yards each outing. Beautiful and prompt, right on the money, Mr. Mike Lombardi, uh, DraftKings analyst, host of the GM Shuffle. This is a real treat for us, Michael. I've been listening all the way back to the GM Street days. Uh, You do a great job um, on the podcast. It's a great inside look at the world of football, and we're really honored to have you on on the show. Thank you, Matt. Appreciate it. Appreciate it very much. Hello, Ryan. How are you? Doing well. Thanks for coming on. No worries. It's always good to talk football. Oh, yeah. And uh, a lot of people are excited to talk about the Bills these days. And I I think the best place to start through six weeks coming off of the the performance they had on Sunday. What is your, you know, first third of the season assessment of this team? Are they at about where you thought they'd be? Uh, Have they exceeded expectations? What have been your observations so far? I I think twofold. Uh, I I didn't think they played their best game last week. Really, I, I didn't think they were operating on all cylinders and they still won. And so that really tells you a lot about their team. Uh, I, what I marvel the most about is their, their resiliency and their dedication to forget last year and almost have an appetite of not having any success at all. I think that they have this competitive stamina that often is overlooked in sport teams, great sport teams, where, you know, you just think like we just go out there and do it. It'll happen because we're so good. And, and this has been going on since the summer. You could see it in all their interviews. You could see it in all their kind of the disposition of the team. So I think, you know, from their play and from their concentration and focus, uh, I have been really not surprised, but I've been as, as somebody who loves to watch great teams, I've enjoyed watching how they compete. And you're never going to play your A game every week. And to beat the Chiefs in Kansas City without what I thought wasn't their A game was pretty impressive. 
Would that be the Von Miller effect in terms of, you know, putting the 13 seconds in the back window, bringing in this guy that's won championships with two teams and, and uh, hopefully, you know, their expectations to get him, get them over the hump as well. I really think it's the quarterback. I think he's got, I think since the win game, when new England beat him with that win, I think there's been a different quarterback in Buffalo. And I think even though they talk about not having him run the ball as much, I don't think that affects him. I think his ability to be the sixth offensive player in the play is always there, you know, and it's always a concern for the defense. And so to me, I think his determination, look, it's Von Miller's a great player and he brings a lot of experience, but your team develops its personality through the head coach and through the quarterback. I mean, that's usually what happens unless you're the Ravens at O2 where you got Ray Lewis on one side and he's just so dominant that that's the personality of the team. You know, that those are few and far between. So I, I think a lot of it's the quarterback, the quarterback not being satisfied. I think that's one of Brady's greatest strengths is the ability to have competitive stamina and be willing to be great even when you're already great. You know, something that's... Oh, go, oh, no, go ahead, Ryan. Well, so I was going to actually ask you then about Josh Allen. Um, obviously, every year you see teams go out and try to get the next Josh Allen in the draft. And it, it feels like every time a young quarterback struggles year one, year two, there's that talk of, well, compare him to Josh Allen stats in those two years. Is it just fool's gold when it comes to Josh Allen? Is he just one of those prospects that's once in a lifetime in terms of where he was as a college prospect to where he is now? Well, I think you have to evaluate like where, what, why the core, the young quarterbacks aren't successful for me. And I was completely wrong on Josh Allen. I, I didn't think he could improve his accuracy. I thought he was going to be like LaRouche from, you know, the Durham Bulls, you know, from Bull Durham where he just had a great fastball, but just couldn't always get it over the plate. And, 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 his accuracy, that throw in the back corner of the end zone to beat the Chiefs was his, was a rare throw. I mean, that's an elite throw. I say this on the podcast all the time. Brett Favre always would say great quarterbacks, you know, any quarterback can throw it through a door. Great quarterbacks can hit the doorknob. The elite quarterbacks throw it through the keyhole. I never saw Allen being a guy that could throw it through the keyhole, and that throw was a keyhole throw, and he's been making them. I remember a play in New England against he had a crossing route. They could have beaten New England if he just hits the crosser. And I don't know if I forget who the crosser was, but I mean, if he just hits him, the guy's going to run for a touchdown to beat New England. And he overthrew him by five yards. I mean, it was so bad. That to me was something I never thought would happen. And so when you watch Josh play as a young player, you never said he can't read the coverage. You never said he was a one look guy and take off. You never said it was too big for him. You always said, God, he's just not accurate enough. And yet he's proven that he's been that way. Whereas if you watch Justin Fields, Accuracy is just one of the long list of problems that he has trying to move the football, you know, and so you got to be or you watch Kyler Murray and you see that he struggles when the pocket gets pushed in front of him and he can't see or Baker Mayfield, you know, they can't see because they're little. Those are problems that you, you, they're different. So every quarterback's different in terms of how you evaluate them at a young age. I mean, we're all sitting here saying, you know, Justin Fields, just give him time. Well, Bailey Zappi's played better than Justin Field in two games from Western Kentucky than, than this kid's played when he went to Ohio State. Think about that now, right? I mean, but yet we don't have that. Nobody talks about that because nobody wants to say the guy's not playing well. You know, that's the problem with our league. We hide these things all the time. Mm -hmm. 
you bring up um, Bailey Zappi and, and and what's going on there in New England. Obviously, you know, familiar with that organization, that team. Where do you kind of put things in New England right now with you know what they're trying to do, uh, building around Mac Jones, what what's happening there in the coaching staff? Like where where do you where do you see things for the New England Patriots? Because I feel like Bills fans, it's it's really interesting the juxtaposition between all those years of Tom Brady and watching him dominate the division. And now it's almost kind of giving way to now Josh Allen in the same division and, and kind of like almost like a early signs of a QB controversy there in New England. Well, I mean, look, earlier in the year, and I said this on my podcast, Mac Jones wasn't playing well. You know, there was all this talk about, well, they don't have an offense coordinator. Who's calling the plays? Nobody knows what they're doing on offense. I, I think that was all just a bunch of people not knowing they got the greatest coach in the history of football. I mean, he's going to pass George Alice if they beat the bears this week. So, I mean, they'll figure out their problems and solve them. I, I think Mac Mac wasn't playing well and he turned the ball over at a high and alarming rate. You know, the Patriots program is built on, we're not going to beat ourselves first. We're the other team's going to have to beat us. We're not turning the ball over. We're not having penalties, yada, yada, yada. And he was doing that. And then he got hurt and Zappy comes in and all of a sudden just, takes what the, you know, makes the game, kind of lets the game come to him. And I think if Mac, when Mac comes back, that's how he's got to approach it. Look, the Patriots are always going to be a competitively good team because they have such a great coach. The difference in the National Football League is the quarterback, right? Can you beat an elite quarterback? I mean, New England in the last two games haven't forced the Bills to punt at all. In eight quarters, they haven't forced them to punt. So that, that's a dominating, dominating way that Buffalo has against New England's defense. That's got to change if they're going to catch them because that's ultimately the difference between the two teams. One has an elite quarterback. The other team has a good quarterback who's trying to become better. Yeah, well said. Uh, so you've mentioned the elite quarterback. We've talked a little bit about Von Miller in this defense. The Bills roster is one of the best in the league. There's there's no denying that right now. But as the trade deadline approaches, is this a, a team where Brandon Bean should be fielding calls, trying to find another missing piece, whether it's an offensive lineman? They've obviously been linked to every running back under the sun, it feels like, with Saquon Barkley a few weeks ago, which I don't see him going anywhere now with the way the Giants are playing. Uh, Christian McCaffrey. Is, is this something where the Bills should maybe just stay as is because stay the course, the roster's great as is, or should they be looking for that? final piece so to speak i think anytime you can improve your team you should do it right and and whatever the cost what what is the cost it's cost effect is should i do this or shouldn't i you know i think you always want to add to your team the idea that you're going to get mccaffrey like why would carolina even say buffalo wanted to give away their first round pick let's just say that that pick's going to be somewhere between 28 and 32 right i mean that, that i'm not going out on a limb by saying that like why would you trade a really good player, an elite player who does a lot of things. He's a weapon, right? Define running backs no longer as running backs. Define them as weapons. The kid can make plays in the passing game. He can pass, protect, and he can run. Why would you trade a weapon away who you have under contract for a low first-round pick? Does that make – are you never getting – that's not a good trade for you. That's not. So why would Carolina do that? Now, I could see Carolina trade them to a team that they thought would have a high first-round pick so they could gain more chips into the – into the quarterback derby that that'll happen in the draft. So, but if I'm, if I'm Brandon, I'm trying to find ways to improve the team any way I possibly can sign Odell Beckham. Okay. If we bring Odell in here, what does that do with Isaiah McKenzie? How does he fit into that role? We put Beckham on the outside, you know, where does all these pieces start to fit and how does it affect the team? And I think you got to keep doing that. 
you know, it's hard to find offensive linemen this time of the year. Nobody's given away. I mean, there's teams that don't have left tackles, so it's hard to find them. I'm interested in your thoughts on Brandon and, you know, the kind of arc of when he took over this job, where the, the franchise was, what he's done, you know, year by year, incrementally kind of building this, obviously getting the quarterback. That's the, the it's what GMs kind of, you know, uh, how they live in this league is if you yeah. can find that quarterback and then build around him. What if, how do you think that he's done in doing that and setting up Josh Allen for success? Well, I think it's just really a partnership, right? I think, you know, to me, I, I was a really good scout when I worked with before Belichick. I wasn't a very good personnel guy when I worked with some other guys. I think you got to see the game the same way with the head coach. And the head coach has got to be willing to coach the coaches and, you know, not allow them to have as equal say in the decision-making as you have, right? And so I think what the what the Bills have is the perfect cultural base. You know, they've got a head coach who's a defensive-oriented coach who's involved with the defense with Leslie Frazier. They're running his stuff, so there's harmony over there. They've got an offensive staff that's kind of evolved to where they now know what Josh Allen needs to do and run, and they've gotten playmakers. I mean, I think what they really have done is understand who Josh Allen is, right? So, like, let's take Tom Brady, for example. Brady is a quarterback that – Brady's not a normal he's – he's one of the greatest players of all time. But it's but Brady needs a certain style of team around him. He needs a really good tight end, okay? He needs a tight end that can be a back factor in the passing game. Gronk, Aaron Hernandez. He needs a really good slot, okay? A slot receiver that can win. Wes Welker, Danny Amendola, uh, Julian Edelman. That's, that's, and he needs a running back that can win out of the backfield in one-on-one. Kevin Falk, James White, whomever you want to play in that role. Shane Vereen. Okay, those three pieces, that's what he really wants to utilize. This year he doesn't have any of those, so he doesn't look the same player. And I think what Bean's done a really good job is understanding what Josh Allen is and what he is and what the players around him, how that all blends together. That's part of the job, too. It's just not we're going to pick players. You know, it's, it's part of – how do we build a team around the strengths of the quarterback? I think this is a this is a huge factor. I don't think the Ravens have done this with Lamar Jackson. As good as Lamar is, I don't think they've done that. I think Lamar needs a slot receiver. I don't think Lamar needs more outs. They just shined to Sean Jackson today. Like that's the last thing he needs is a little receiver on the outside. He needs a slot receiver who can win one on one. He needs a nickelback who can win one on one. He's already got a tight end. They were better when they had Hayden Hurst. And, and Mark Andrews together because they he wants to throw the ball in the middle of the field. So I think Bean's done a really good job of seeing players and plays and blending it together. Cole Beasley was here um, for a couple of years, and, and I watched his impact on, on Josh, obviously. But what he can do out of the slot, you know, I think that over the course of his time here, obviously the, the, the talent level – you know, descended a little bit. And by the time he left, he wasn't nearly the same player that he was when he got here. But I still think had something left to offer. Obviously, two games uh, in, in Tampa Bay, and he calls it a career. Were you surprised that we didn't see a little bit more of that with maybe like letting him kind of work a little bit with Tom Brady? Yeah, I mean, I was. But I think, you know, those slot guys that play in there, they have to have unique toughness. And I'm not saying Cole doesn't, but they take a pounding in there. You know, Amadola, Edelman, those guys, they get the crap beat out of them. Wes Welker. And it's hard. It's really hard to go in there. And he had so many catches. I mean, the year Beasley was so effective for Buffalo, it was really – he was the running game. He really was the running game. I mean, they were throwing it to him, 
and that because they wouldn't even try to Brian wasn't even trying to run the ball. He couldn't block it. He'd get any movement up front and they didn't want Josh to run the ball. And and I think since the win game, they morphed into this what I call the single wing offense pro style, which is the, the quarterback's the sixth offensive weapon. And he's involved in the offense, even though he may not run it as much. I mean, last week, I think he ran it 12 times. He averaged like two, two and a half yards a carry. No big deal, right? But let me say this. The Chiefs practiced against every single run that a quarterback can have. And the Chiefs were aware of him going to run on every single play. Mm-hmm. They were aware he was – He they were worried he was going to run. And because of that, it opens the door up for so many other players. But that inside slot receiver, he's going to take a beating. Yeah, absolutely. So – after their latest win against the Chiefs, the Bills now have wins against the Chiefs, the Ravens, the Titans, all the division leaders essentially in the AFC. How important, one, is having those wins head-to-head for this team? And two, how important, in your opinion, is it for the Bills to get home field advantage in the playoffs? Well, I mean, look, it's always important to play at home, and I think the Bills are weather-tested. I mean, they went into Kansas City last year, and without 13 seconds, they win that game. So I don't think that's going to be an issue weather is I, I think the wind will certainly be a factor you know is if you're going to play a game in late you remember you know we used to the ice bowl was in green bay was played on december 31st i mean think about that that was the championship game to decide the super bowl and that was played at december 31st we have three games after that now the weather is going to be dramatically different and if you play in a playoff game in, in the third week in january in buffalo you know, that could change the game, and it could change the game for the Bills. It could change the game. Just say Miami comes up there and plays a playoff game. Do you think Tua's going to be able to throw the ball in cold weather? Last year when it rained in Tennessee, he couldn't throw the ball. You know? Yeah. So a lot of quarterbacks can't play in that weather. They, I mean, Jared Goff, it goes below 40 degrees. Check out his one-loss record. I mean, it just it's just who they – it's just kind of what happens. And so I think it gives it gives them a distinct advantage because their quarterback, Buffalo's quarterback, can play in any weather. Yeah, very true. Um, you, you mentioned a couple of times the, the playoff game in Kansas City last year, and it's something that leading up to last week's game asked a lot about during the, you know, the press conferences of Sean McDermott and you know how he handled things there. And I'm curious because I, I think back to um, – you know, some of the great NBA uh, up and coming teams that needed to, you know, really, you know, take their lumps in, in, in playoff series and learn how to win. How much is that the case in the NFL, especially for young coaches that maybe don't execute properly in games for them to kind of learn through their failures? And th- does that have the potential to make them stronger and better in those moments in future playoff games? Well, I mean, every time you watch a game, you learn something. I mean, every time you should, you know, like let's take the Monday night game, for example. Uh, Denver calls their last time out with 53 seconds left to go. The Bills are faced with third and 17 at their own 17-yard line or 18-yard line. They could barely get a first down. So there's only one call you can make there. You got to run the ball. You got to run the ball because if you run the ball there, they can't get the ball back and you're going to go into the, the game's going to be tied. What is what – is, the Chargers do, even though they're supposed to be this incredibly analytical team who base everything, you know, they throw an incomplete pass. Fourth timeout for for the uh, Broncos. They get the ball back. They kick a field goal at the end of the half. They go up 13-10. Happened to the Bills, too. What, they have 12 seconds this week, and they gave up a touchdown. They gave up a field goal again, you know. And so you got to really – every call you make 
as a head coach, you have to make sure that the calls that are going in reflect the calls that can manage the game. You know, what happens to a lot of guys in the NFL is because there's so much subcontracting going on, you know, offensive coordinators, their job is to get yards and score points. That's their job. That's what they're supposed to do. And unless the head coach tells them to do something different, that's what they're going to keep doing. Their, their idea to manage the game to win doesn't really come into play. Most offensive coordinators call the game like offensive coordinators. I think Mike Kafka in, in, in New York is calling the game like a head coach because that's how they have to do it for the Giants to be able to be successful. So, you know, I think that it's, I'm sure Sean learned from it. I'm sure he wish he had to do it all over again, although it repeated itself again. You just got to keep learning. You're going to keep growing and learning. And it just you got to know that your team has confidence that you're going to make the right decision. You know, Sean McDermott and his evolution as the head coach, he has made pretty dramatic steps in terms of um, his aggressiveness on offense. Is that, again, part of just the Josh Allen factor? I have one of the best, if not the best, quarterback in the league right now, so I trust him in these scenarios. Or is this more of a, a I've learned over the years that punting it away is not always the answer? Yeah, I, I think I, – look, I'm not anti-punting. I'm not anti-not punting. I, I think every game is different. I think he what he punted twice in the last game. You know he went for it on fourth down in his own red zone. He lost those three points, so he turned. So that's a turnover, even though it was in counting the stats. The ball turned over on downs. Mm-hmm. It's a turnover. It should be counted in the turnover column. It is in my notes, and it is in every NFL coach's notes when they review the game. But I, I do think there's a balance. What you always have to determine, and for Sean, this is the main job he has during the game is who's in control and who's in the lead. Right. Like I never felt like whatever the score was that Kansas City was in control of the game. Thought that they were moving the ball, that they had moments, but I never thought they got complete control of the game. I I felt Buffalo had moments of control, but never complete. And so when you have that in effect, sometimes those fourth downs, you've got to go for them to gain control of the game. Or whereas if you have control of the game, you're better off punting. You're better off punting because you're going to get it back. Whereas if you don't feel control, you're better off trying to win it with your offense. Uh, we're going to get out, yeah, out of here uh, here in a few minutes, but I, I wanted to get your your take on this before we do, because, you know, you saw the two heavyweights of the AFC go, go at it this week. And I think going into the season, the most teams expected them. I mean, Baltimore's in the mix. Indy was in the mix probably before the, before the season. Things have kind of gone awry there. But who do you think, if you're looking at the AFC power structure, who do you think poses the the biggest challenges to the Bills? And is it just the Chiefs that they have to worry about? No, I, I think, you know, like in any league, as teams improve, everybody's, you know, we only had six games in. So what's going to happen over the next, what, we have 11 games to go? You know, pad level is going to be important. Who continues to practice? Who? What team gets better? I mean, if Baltimore can figure out a way to not blow leads like they did against Buffalo, they're going to be a threat to them. You know, Buffalo's, I mean, Baltimore's one of the worst fourth fourth quarter teams in football, you know, and they've got a lot, they've had a lot of guys hurt, so they could be a factor. They've got a great field goal kicker, which makes a difference in three-point games, even though most coaches don't want to take the three points. You know, the Raiders are one and four, but the Raiders are kind of a weird one and four team. I mean, they've, they could easily be four and one. They lost a lot of games close, but they've got to flip that around. You know, Miami's lost three in a row. Playing quarterback for Miami is dangerous because every time the new quarterback comes in, he gets a concussion. 
Tua got out, then Teddy got out, and then Skylar Thompson got out. Now they're back to Tua again. I don't know if they're good enough defensively, but they look like they've improved last week against Minnesota. Minnesota had 15 drives in the game. They punted 13 times, even though they won the game. So, you know, I, I think there's so much football to be determined. Injuries are going to play a huge factor. And one or two key injuries can shift the balance of power. Like Tennessee has played horrible. They haven't played worth a darn, but they've got three wins because Rabel does a good job managing the game. And they'll be a hard team to play. I mean, this time last year, we would never thought the Bengals would be a Super Bowl team. But what happened? The Bengals got hot. They had the best field goal kicker in football at the end of the year. They didn't turn it over, and their defense played at a high level. That formula always is going to work. Yeah, that's well said. So you mentioned injuries. The Bills are going to be getting Tredavious White back, a player they haven't had since November. Uh, and they also have young contributors opposite Trey White once he comes back. Dane Jackson, and then two rookies, Kyrie Elam and Christian Benford. If the Bills go with Jack, Jackson and Trey White, would it stunt their development at all, the two rookies, or is it an okay thing to have them kind of rotate in on this uh, type of defense? I mean, B- B- Buffalo's a really a quarter coverage team. They're, they're not a pure lineup and play bump and run man-to-man like the Chiefs are. You know, they're a mixed coverage. They do a great job in the skies in their coverage. So I don't think it's going to affect them at all. I, th- I think the fact that they've gotten these early reps – is only going to help them. Their jump, these young players' jump, is going to be next year from year one to year two. That's where we're going to see the huge uptick. And the more experience they have in the secondary, it's better because they can disguise things better. You know, they understand how to kind of mess around with the quarterback. That's what Sean and Leslie do a great job. They do a great job of disguising. You know, the key, the guys that, the one thing about this build defense is they got to stay strong down the middle. But, you know, they lose Makai Hyde. That hurt. But they can overcome that. They got to keep Poyer healthy, and the guy they really have to keep healthy is Milano. Milano is one of their best players mm-hmm. because Milano does a lot of things that allow them to do the other things. You know, he's sneaky good, and everybody in the league knows it. But not a lot of people, you know, the national media doesn't know it because it's not flashy. He doesn't get sacks. You know, he's not pressuring. But that guy is the one player that they can't afford to lose. Great conversation, um, Michael. Thank you so much. You can find him, uh, obviously, the GM uh, Shuffle with Fef, uh, Femi. Ob- uh, how do you pronounce his last name? Femi Obamafe. Obamafe. Uh, you guys do an excellent job. On, every, on Beeson every day from Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, 12 to 2, and then Saturday, Sunday, 10 to, 10 to 12. Uh, Gridiron Genius, uh, you can get that book. And then you got another book coming out that I think people are going to be super excited about. That's next year, right, where you're power ranking the best players? Yeah, and it's a book. It's called Football Done Right. It's a, it's a uh, setting the record straight on players, coaches, and the history of the NFL. I talk a lot about the coaching trees in the NFL. There are five coaching trees that essentially have made up the NFL today. And then – ranking the top coaches in the league and putting a criteria on how does a coach get into the hall of fame? You know, what makes a coach a hall of fame coach? And, and then I rank the top 100. I go over all the trades in the league and the television impact of the league and then the draft to how the draft kind of got started. And then I rank the top 100 players in my view, which I feel are the top 100 players. Some of them are still playing today. Great stuff. Uh, We're looking forward to it. Uh, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Wish you the best. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks, Matt. Thank you. Take care, Michael.
What is up, everybody? This is Matt Prino from Shout, a Buffalo Bills football podcast, here to talk to you about Prize Picks, the largest daily fantasy sports platform in North America. Prize Picks is the easiest and most exciting way to play DFS. It's just you against the numbers. Instead of battling thousands of other players, including pros and sharks, you pick more than or less than on two to six player staff projections and watch the winnings roll in. Football season may be over, but the action on the floor is heating up. Whether it's tournament season or the fight for playoff home court, there's no shortage of high-stakes basketball moments this time of year. Get in on the excitement with Prize Picks, America's number one fantasy sports app where you could turn your hoops knowledge into serious cash. You can now win up to 100 times your money on Prize Picks with as little as four correct picks. You could turn $10 into $1,000 with NBA, NHL, and college basketball entries today on Prize Picks, America's number one fantasy sports app. Download the app today and use code SHOUT, S-H-O-U-T, for a first deposit match up to $100. Again, download the app today and use the code SHOUT, S-H-O-U-T, for a first deposit match up to $100. Um, all right, uh, Michael Lombardi, great stuff there, Ryan Talbot. Uh, we're going to go a little bit longer here. So if you're watching on YouTube, thank you very much. Uh, hit that like button, subscribe as well. This is going to be the last podcast you get from us for another week. So there's, there's a couple things I want to talk about. I went back and watched the game, and I think we can dive into a, a couple topics. There's actually some, some news that I think we can kind of get into before we do, uh, but before we do, You've heard about it already, right, folks? The tailgate and go kitchen. I don't know how many more times I got to tell you. Go check this thing out. It has everything. Built-in cutting boards, paper towel holder, bottle opener, spice rack, food divider compartments, storage net and lid and knife magnet. Uh, it was featured on uh, Shark Tank. And now through October 29th, every time you use your Tops Bonus Plus, bonus plus card per- to purchase participating brands, tongue twister, Pepsi, Campbell, Smithfield, and so many more, you're automatically entered for a chance to win a tailgate and go kitchen for the ultimate tailgating experience. For complete details, visit topsmarkets.com slash red zone. Ryan Talbot, the Kansas City Chiefs reportedly, there's mutual interest between the Chiefs and Odell Beckham Jr., according to Aaron Wilson um, from Pro Football Network. And this is interesting because I think I don't know if we've covered this angle of the OBJ saga as much um, where it's about maybe keeping signing him. If you're the bills to keep him away from other contenders, Um, it'll be interesting because the chiefs, where would Odell Beckham jr. Fit in there? I feel like he plays kind of a similar role to Juju Smith Schuster, but they could probably get creative with how they want to use them and maybe send Odell back out to the boundary a little bit more. But I mean, what do you do here in this situation? If it comes down to, uh, either a bidding war or a um, recruiting war between the Chiefs and the Bills. Yeah, well, when it comes to a bidding war, there's only so much money you have, and the Bills are are financially handcuffed right now. Now, could they restructure a contract like the Chiefs did with uh, Travis Kelsey this week? It's possible they can move some money around. Uh, but I'm not sure that Brandon Bean wants to get into a bidding war. Now, a recruiting war, uh, I'm not sure anyone can recruit him better than what the Bills already have here in Von Miller, first and foremost, who doubled down on his guarantee again after the Kansas City Chiefs game, telling Jarrett Bell of the USA Today he's coming to Buffalo. Um, But, you know, money talks. 
getting to play with one of the league's elite quarterbacks and Patrick Mahomes would certainly talk as well. And if the Bills really have not shown interest in terms of Brandon Bean in the front office, what's Obel, uh, what's Odell Beckham to do? Right. And you mentioned it before we went on here, the Travis Kelsey, uh, who had his contract uh, restructured to open up a couple million dollars of cap space set on a podcast that he hopes that it's used to go get Odell Beckham Jr. So there's, you know, people are posturing, people are trying to figure out this, this player, but I, I will caution everybody when it comes to Odell Beckham Jr. to be careful, be cautious with your expectations. Like I, I don't necessarily think that at any stage this season, Odell Beckham Jr. is going to come back and be the same guy that he was in that Super Bowl game. And so what a lot of people are trying to go out there and get might not be the return on the investment, even if the investment is, you know, not super substantial. And there's something to be said for the Bills offense. Like Sean McVay has come out and said that they basically kind of threw out the playbook early on with Odell Beckham Jr. while he kind of got to know it because it was, you know, it's complicated. He's, he runs a complicated scheme, as do the Bills. And some people have said it's the most complicated scheme they've ever been a part of offensively in the league. Guys like Emmanuel Sanders, who've seen a lot. And so are you going to get Odell Beckham Jr. In, into the mix, into the fold in November, December? Is he going to be able to even really understand this playbook in time to be effective? But I still think you kind of, throw a dart, even if it's just to keep them away from another team. Sure. And throwing a dart too, because of, you know, the, the late playoff run, you might have some injuries. You might be a little bit banged up. And even if he's hundred percent, he's not the same player. He's still a pretty good player at the end of the day that can help you in these games and help you win these close matchups that you're likely going to face in the AFC playoffs, potentially in the Super Bowl. So the talent is there, but your your question in terms of can he be the same player he was in the Super Bowl, that's a very valid question because mm-hmm. it's the second ACL injury. Uh, it happened so late in the year, obviously in the Super Bowl. He claimed he played through it even longer than that. Uh, so there's questions both ways, but you don't want to see him going to the Chiefs if you're a Bills fan. And if you're a Chiefs fan, you don't want to see him go to the Buffalo Bills. But at the end of the day, he's going to a contender. He's not going to just show up on a one in four team for, for more money. He wants to win another championship and try to break the bank next year. Um, we could transition now. I want to talk a little bit about uh, kind of that secondary look at the, the Bills Chiefs game. It's one of the biggest of the season. And the guy for me that I think was, you know, building off of Mike's point from a, from a few minutes ago, that was the most impressive to me once I got through watching that full broadcast back was Matt Milano. And it's funny because as I was watching the game, I kind of was like, man, I got to go look at his advanced stats. So I brought up um, pro football focus and I wanted to kind of look at what he actually did in the game. And, you know, he had some missed tackles. He was targeted six times. He gave up six catches. He had, I think it was two or three tackles for a loss. I got to bring up pro football reference to, to check it out, check that out. But I'm looking at pro football focus and they, they have, they gave him an overall grade in that game of 42.2 out of a hundred. That is egregious. Now what I think is happening there, just not to defend them too much, but I think what they're doing is they're just grading each play in and of itself. So you're getting demerits for missed tackles. You had a couple of those misreads and they're not placing any more value. Like I like in, in the case of like a DVOA metric where they value different plays and different results, mm-hmm. um, more highly regarded than other plays. Like, especially if 
you miss a tackle on a drive where they end up not getting points or, or giving the ball back. Like that should not be counted against you as much as maybe a play that leads to a score. Anyway, this is a, an instance where the pro football focus grade, I, I really take an issue with it because I thought Matt Milano was one of the best players in the field that day. Yeah. And you look at the regular stat line, he had uh, one tackle for loss, two quarterback hits, three total tackles. So the stats don't jump off the page, but he's everywhere. He's, uh, he made big plays, especially the last play of the game for the Chiefs, where he was spying uh, Patrick Mahomes. He saw Mahomes roll out of the pocket because of the pressure that Von Miller applied. He starts charging in on him. And we're going back and rewatching that play. Sure enough, Mahomes, he does kind of, he, I don't want to call it a pump fake because he was trying to throw the ball. But Mahomes took, or not Mahomes, Milano took away that window for him. So he had to hold it an extra uh, second. And that allowed Taron Johnson to kind of jump into the frame, intercept the ball, and win the game for the Bills. So he's doing the little things. Big picture, entire season, Milano's playing at an all-pro level. And, you know, if I had to point out one player that I think deserves a lot of the credit for that, it's also Daquan Jones. Daquan Jones in the middle of that defensive line is really allowing Milano and Tremaine Edmonds to play freely. It's something that they haven't been able to do the past few seasons where it was Star Latulale who was not doing that type of job at that high of a level. Uh, taking on double teams, cleaning things up up front for those linebackers to let them use their natural athleticism. So Milano overall, you know, you could make a case for him being the defensive MVP through six weeks to date. And a lot of the, like, where he was the closest to the reception, our our producer, AJ, makes a really good poison here point in here. He says the Travis Kelsey effect. There were like two or three receptions that Kelsey had against zone coverage where Milano just had to react. And, and they're so... They're so dynamic, Mahomes and Kelsey, with the years of experience they have together and what they're able to do against defenses. He shows one little morsel of a look. The ball's out, the ball's in. Even if you recognize it in time and you react, you're usually going to be late. And there was at least three occasions where I thought Milano was probably dinged for the reception, but it was just them working against the zone. So it was more of a you know, conceptual error than a, a singular error and that's another issue i have with the with the scheme or with the grading scheme but at the end of the day that's also why it's hard to grade individual players and individual plays because i think that the whole collective of what the defense wants the offense to do that's not taken into account so over the course of the game how many times did the the chiefs make plays but it didn't result in scoring plays or it didn't result in scoring drives. And that is where the wins come from Leslie Frazier's defense. Yeah, absolutely. Limiting the points, limiting the opportunities, making plays when needed, the Kyrie Lum interception, the Taron Johnson interception, but just, you know, stalling out drives too is a big win for Leslie Frazier. But as for the zone defense, listen, Travis Kelsey has been in this league for a long time and he has this rapport now with Patrick Mahomes too, where they they pretty much know exactly what they're going to be doing on a, on a given play. And when it comes to these zone defenses, Kelsey knows exactly where to sit. He knows where to be. Um, Mahomes is always going to be looking for him as his first read, second read in this offense. Now that there's no Tyreek Hill, uh, the receivers did step up the Juju Smith Schusters, the, um, our, you know, the MVS, they, they had some plays, but obviously Kelsey's his go-to guy and, and you're going to give up some receptions over four quarters to a, one of the, the elite tight ends in this game. In the moment of it, it, it was amazing watching it back because of how long those drives were 
like down the stretch. Like if you go back and look at the second half, I mean, there were some, it, there was not a lot of back and forth. I mean, look at, look at it juxtaposed to last year's game when I think there was like four or five possessions in the last six minutes of the game or whatever the actual number was. This was literally four possessions really in the fourth quarter that it came down to five. If you count that first one um, at the beginning of the, of the quarter. And it was just like execution against execution. And another thing that I noticed, Ryan, throughout the game, it was amazing. A couple of things were amazing. Number one, holy Tono, Tony Romo. Um, what, what's it called? The uh, the the ball that the psychic ball, right? Psychic, like he was looking. Yeah. In, he was looking into the future. Twenty four to twenty, wild. called it like the second quarter. That's wild. And so that really stuck out. But also like the the stats were identical between Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes. Almost blow for blow, series for series. They kept showing graphics of where they were at in the game and where their stats were. These are two players that are absolutely at the pinnacle of the game, and they are literally neck and neck. And I was talking about this with Thad Brown. Like, if you want to talk about body of work at this point, Super Bowl, Super Bowl MVP, MVP award, you got to give the nod to Patrick Mahomes. But if we're talking... 2022 right now listen it's hard because Patrick Mahomes is so good but I think you make the argument that Josh Allen has been the better quarterback through the first six games this season I think you can go back even last season and last season and the first six games of this year and give that to Josh Allen I think they are neck and neck in terms of what they can each do but Allen stands out a little bit more because of how dangerous he is as a runner Mahomes can escape he, he shows a lot of escapability uh, but he's not going to hurdle a defender. He's not going to stiff arm a defender, turn what could have been a five-yard run into a 40-yard run. Uh, it, there's just those few other things that Allen can do that Mahomes cannot, and that's taking nothing away from Mahomes because that's probably the only thing that he can't do that Allen can. They both have the arm strength. They both can throw from uh, unique angles. They can both uh, mess with the best defenses in the game in terms of you can think you have the perfect game plan on a given week and they can ruin it over the course of four quarters. So they are the two best in the business right now. But if I go back even from last year through these first six games, I'm giving Allen the nod over Mahomes. Um, what did you think about um, the offensive line? Because I do think that when Spencer Brown went out and David Questenberry came in, I noticed an improved level of protection. And there were a few plays there where I thought uh, Questenberry, you know, lost his matchup and Josh Allen had to move around. But of course, Allen wasn't sacked in this game. And so I think from that perspective, you have to be impressed with that part of it. But I thought Questenberry really played well. And if, if Brown is out for an extended period of time, whatever that ends up looking like, we don't know the severity of that ankle sprain and we won't really learn probably until next Wednesday. They're in a really good hands with Questenberry. I think my bigger concern maybe continues to be Ryan Bates. What are your impressions of him and how he's played through six weeks? Because I think you can make an argument with Spencer Brown out of the lineup. He's been the weakest link. Yeah. Well, first with Spencer Brown and, and Questenberry, I think Questenberry came in and with his experience uh, with the way that the, the Chiefs were trying to attack the Bills, I think that he had a good grasp of what they were trying to do and what his responsibilities were. And that's something that comes with time, comes with experience. And I know he's not some 10, 15-year vet, but he has more experience than a, than a second-year uh, player in Spencer Brown who missed a ton of time this summer with a back uh, after a back procedure and missed a lot of, you know, missed some time already this year too. So 
that's going to happen. As for Ryan Bates, I I think he's I don't want to say he's in a no win scenario, but he his body of work last year came at left guard, Matt, and, and he was great at left guard. And I think a lot of people just think that well, you can flip from left guard to right guard, and, and it's just the same. It's not. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think there's going to be growing pains, and there are growing pains right now. He is the weak link on this line because when you look at the rest of the offensive line, Mitch Morris is the model of stability. Uh, you can count on him week in, week out. He's going to do his job. You have Deion Dawkins, who, you know, th- there's going to be a player or two maybe here and there where he gets pushed back, he gets beaten. But for the most part, he's playing at a Pro Bowl, all pro level more times than not. And Roger Saffold, his overall best days are behind him, but he's still playing at a good enough level where you can count on him in run protection, pass protection. So given all those factors, it's very easy for Ryan Bates to kind of stick out like a sore thumb. Uh, so I, I still want to give him that benefit of the doubt that it's going to come at right guard. He's going to figure things out. Uh, because there's there's just so many big differences when you flip from one side to the next, even if you're playing the same quote unquote position. Um, Questenberry actually did give up a sack. Uh, I didn't um, I didn't think of it right off the bat because I thought Chris Jones tripped Josh Allen and probably should have been called for that. So probably shouldn't have been a sack, although he did lose the rep. So it was on Questenberry for giving up the pressure to begin with, um, regardless of the penalty. And, yeah, you, you know, with Bates, to me. The biggest thing about the jump from left guard to right guard, partly, you know, he's probably partly dealing with just, you know, learning to play right-handed, right? Like we talked about on the show before, but it's also about like who you're going from playing in between exactly to who you're now going and playing in between, right? Like that to me, Deion Dawkins, that is such a luxury. And Mitch Morris was kind of, um, he was actually really stable last year, play with uh, at that spot too, as well. So having those two guys next to you, that helps a lot, and I think part of it is he's had to kind of string along and bring along Ryan Bates, who's a young guy himself, uh, a, a very raw and still developing right tackle in Spencer Brown. And it's just going to be kind of like a um, you know, a development there for both of those guys. I, I also thought it was interesting that Tommy Sweeney seemed to uh, pull ahead in the backup tight end department, and I think a big part of that is because of what he offers his blocker over the last yeah. couple of weeks. Yeah, and that's just it. It's the blocking ability. Uh, if you're looking for a tight end to go out and catch passes, I'll still take Morris over Sweeney in that regard. Uh, but Sweeney has stepped up a big time the past two weeks. I thought he had a really nice game uh, against the Chiefs, and that 98-yard touchdown against the Steelers doesn't happen if Tommy Sweeney doesn't make the block that he makes on that third down play uh, from the Bills being buried at their two-yard line. So, there, there are some reasons why he's getting more playing time. There's some reasons why the Bills clearly liked him enough to make this 53-man roster where I was wavering on him in, in terms of do they keep him over O.J. Howard going way back to the summer because of the contract and everything else. He's proven himself at least the, the past two weeks in terms of being a very capable blocker. And with some of the defensive linemen, some of the defensive tackles specifically, that they've had already play this year. It's good to have a tight end that can stay back and block uh, and do their job to help keep Josh Allen upright. And he's doing just that. We didn't get to Ken Dorsey with um, Michael, but I did want to chat about him for, for a few minutes here with you, because I think it's really interesting to, to watch what happens over the next four months when you, you know, you're reading the tea leaves and his name is 
likely going to start popping up quite a bit. I, I don't know who tweeted it, but I saw somebody tweet a picture of him and Cam Newton and say that he should be the next Carolina Panthers head coach. And it's not something I gave a lot of thought to in the offseason, but he is coming in at a time when the Bills are a national story week in and week out. And the buzz around this team and this offense and this quarterback are at an all-time high. And, you know, we've seen guys in this league rise really quickly through the ranks and get head coaching opportunities. I mean, Sean McVay was one of the youngest head coaches ever, and he was in a similar situation, a, an offensive guy that maybe a little bit different than Ken, because Ken was kind of taking over an offense that was, was really built by, by Dable, right? Like he was the offensive coordinator and everything like that. So I think it's, it's going to be interesting to see, do teams view him as ready right now with what he's been able to do as an offensive coordinator, or is it something that you're going to want to see multiple years of? And if you're the bills, what's the, what's the the plan after he goes? I think the nice piece is that you have Joe Brady as the quarterback's coach right now and almost a succession plan in place. Um, but man, this thing's going to start turning over a lot quicker, Ryan Talbot. I feel like as they continue to have this kind of success, if they have this kind of success. Yeah, and it's so hard to predict because I would have thought that Brian Dable would have had a head coaching job before this year. I thought that he was mm. worthy of one two years ago. You could even make the argument for the you know after 2019 season uh, that he was he was probably ready at that point based on what he had done, shown the growth in Josh Allen's game, the offensive scheme in general. So it, w- when you just look at it through that lens, I'm not sure he'll he'll be able to do a one and done scenario. I think a lot of teams will sit there and say, "Well, look at." Yes, Josh Allen was great. And, you know, looking ahead, maybe Josh Allen wins MVP this year. But is MVP Josh Allen under Ken Dorsey a significant jump from what he was under Brian Dable? I'm not so sure. So I think you're going to have a lot of you're going to have some skeptics out there in terms of GMs that, okay, he has one of the best quarterbacks in this game. He has one of the best wide receivers in this game, one of the best up and coming wide receivers in Gabe Davis in this game. And the list goes on. However, flipping that coin, if I'm the Houston Texans, if I'm the Carolina Panthers, if I'm one of those teams that's trying to get up there and get one of the quarterbacks in this upcoming class that supposedly there's supposed to be some franchise QB, uh, franchise QBs in this class, I think I want to get an offensive mind in there that can develop their game, that can help them uh, accelerate their game to the NFL and If I look at Ken Dorsey, he was been with Josh Allen for multiple years. He was the quarterback's coach. So maybe he did play a bigger role in that development than uh, one's thought. So you can look at it from both sides of the the coin. I think if the Bills go all the way to the Super Bowl, if they win the whole thing, his name becomes one of the hottest names out there. If they make the playoffs, they make it to the championship, kind of what they, you know, or or even the round, you know, the divisional round he's going to be in play because he he is a very good play caller. We've seen it through six weeks. I've been very impressed week in, week out with what he's done with the injuries, everything else with this team. Uh, but th- there's always going to be those surprise candidates that get a job over some of these other guys. Uh, so I, I'm not quite sure where I sit on that after six weeks. Another thing to consider about Dorsey is something that I, I really piqued my interest when I was listening uh, to a podcast the other day they, when Matt Rule was fired. I can't remember who it was. Um, I'll give it a shout out in a future episode if I can track it down. But it was a great point where they said, you know, maybe Matt Rule should have been a little bit more selective of the job that he ended up taking because of, yeah. you know, that things weren't really set up. I mean, it was at the end of the Cam Newton era. And they came, he came in and they released him and moved in a different direction and they didn't have the quarterback. And it's almost like 
I think Ken Dorsey as this hot commodity can be selective because you only get one chance to make a first impression. And I think Brian Dable was a little bit different situation because he had been around the league. He had multiple stops in the NFL. He had been an offensive coordinator in multiple spots. He had learned so much from the bills build over four years that he was ready to kind of go in and take even a, a mediocre roster and get them to play at an above you know, expectations level, which he's doing right now. And we'll, we'll continue to monitor that see how it goes. But for Dorsey, I think to your point is what he wants to do is look for a perfect time to strike to when a team has a number one overall pick, he can go in and, and have a real say in the process of the, you know, the going to the scouting combine and really evaluating these players, find the guy that he likes the men, the makeup that he likes, because the one benefit that Dable also has even more so than, uh, or that Dorsey has over Dable is that Dorsey was on the ground floor with, with Allen in the hard years, right? He came in after a really like tumultuous rookie season. And then 19, 20 and 21, he was one of the key pieces that were in by his side every single day. So I think he knows the caliber of person that he's going to need in that role to be able to develop them the same way. And uh, so I think he could be a little selective. So if, if it's a crop of jobs that aren't really that exciting, maybe he says, I know things aren't changing around here. I have Josh Allen. And as long as I have Josh Allen, I'm probably going to be one of the top candidates every single year. Maybe that's a situation where you can kind of wait and pick your spot. Yeah. Pick, you know, waiting and picking your spot is never bad. Now I, I will say this to Matt rule, you know, to defend him, he, his name was never hotter, Matt. And, yeah, and when a true. team comes to you and says, we're going to give you $62 million to be, if you come and be our head coach, I don't care what the scenario looks like. It's hard not to sign on the dotted line for $62 million. And I know everyone's going to look back at him being a failure in the NFL coach. But one, he's walking away with $40 million that the team still has to pay him. And two, he'll end up going back to the college <laughs> ranks at some – yeah. He'll end up going back to the college ranks at some time. And I think he's going to be great in college no matter where he ends up landing. He, You know, some coaches just aren't meant for the NFL. I think Rule realizes that now. I would hope so. Uh, Dorsey, I think though, you're right. Wait for the right opportunity. If that right opportunity emerges, I have confidence in the bills in terms of their succession plan. You mentioned Joe Brady. I'll even throw Chad Hall's name out there. I think Chad Hall is one of the, going to be one of those hot names here sooner rather than later. He is beloved by every wide receiver on this team. Uh, anytime you hear from the receivers where they really go in depth about the coaching, they sing his praises. Now it, it's not so easy to just jump from wide receivers coach to offensive coordinator. But I think that next, this offseason coming up, you might see a promotion with another job title added on to that role. And he's going to start shooting up the ranks here as well. So they, I think they have more than one candidate in mind, and they have a lot of confidence in the overall voices in that locker room. They have some guys that have been offensive coordinators in this league tight end coach, offensive line coach. So they might even be more willing to kind of roll the dice on someone that doesn't have that type of experience, much like they did this year when they promoted Dorsey from quarterbacks coach to offensive coordinator. If you don't want to roll the dice uh, on dinner, lunch, breakfast, next couple of days, head over to Tops. They got the hook up for you. Um, check out the carry out cafe. It's perfect for game day or any day, fresh, hot to go, large cheese, pepperoni, pizza, $14, the jumbo chicken wings, 10 count, $14 tops, legendary breakfast pizza. Always satisfying. Uh, large get you, uh, for 20 bucks, you get a large it's, can't beat it. Pizza or taco log, six count, seven sixty nine. baby back rib sections, 
$5.99 a pound, plus sub sandwiches, wraps, apps, sides, and so much more. Visit topsmarkets.com slash redzone for the complete menu of ready-to-enjoy fan favorites. What are you doing over the next couple of days, buddy, to unwind? Well, you know, I'm going to actually have my class reunion on Saturday. That, wow. They worked that out nicely with the uh, the Bills bye week. So, uh, Where's it yeah, located? It's going to be up in Ellicottville. They're, they uh, rented out a space in a brewery there, so I'm looking forward to seeing some of my former classmates. Um, 20 years. So, yeah, been pretty wild. So, looking forward. Final to thought. Uh, Daniel White has given it to us with the Super Chat. What position do you think the Bills will add via trade? I'm going to say zero positions, Ryan. Yeah, I'm leaning towards zero. I'll, I'll throw a, I'll, I'll throw a wild card out there. I still am very high in Demar Hamlin in this safety room behind Jordan Poyer, but maybe there's an established safety that they feel like could come in here and partner up with Jordan Poyer and really keep that back end strong with Trey White's return uh, with the young cornerback. So I'll, I'll throw safety out there as a surprise pick because one, I don't think you're going to have to break the bank uh, in terms of future capital, what you'd have to give up for mm-hmm. a safety you might like in this system. And I, I think that's where Brandon Bean is kind of at right now. I'm going to bring in someone on a cost control contract and someone where I'm not going to be spending a high draft pick on them. I like it. Uh, Ryan delivering the goods. Um, thank you so much for all your support so far this season. We've been going strong ever since the beginning of training camp. I'm going to dial it back for a couple of days and then it's going to get recharged right again. Prime time. The Green Bay Packers are coming to Buffalo. We will hit the ground running next week. Hopefully have three more shows locked and loaded for you. For Ryan Talbot, I'm Matt Perino. Have a great weekend, everybody. See you next week.